0: Welcome to the Life Care Services Health Services Division podcast series. I'm your host today, Laura Franco, Vice President, Director of Post-Acute Regulatory Strategy. Today, I'm joined by Renee Kinder, who's a speech and language pathologist and the Vice President of Clinical Services for Encore Rehabilitation Services. And I'd like to note that Encore Rehabilitation Services is one of our LCS therapy partners. So welcome, Renee. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. Happy, happy uh, Tuesday. Almost Fourth of July. Short week this week. So, that's so, right. <laughs> so. Um, what we're going to do today is uh, we're going to talk about what everybody's talking about, right, Renee? PDPM. <laughs> so, <right. laughs> yeah, because that's the topic we're all on right now. So. Uh, So everybody's been preparing, Um, we are neck deep into our preparations, as I know that Encore Rehabilitation is too, from some of our previous conversations. So let's just start it off and uh, why don't you let our listeners know what you all are doing to prepare what you've been doing, and just kind of how you see that process and how it's working for you all with um, with not only your staff, but your customers like like Life Care Services.
1: Sure, I'm happy to share. You know, if, if I look back at essentially our roadmap and how we've built from a very broad perspective to more specificity leading into PDPM, we really started back in 2018 initially training based on RCS-1, right? So we knew that at the foundation of this regulatory change that the clinical presentation was going to be based on MDS accuracy. So that's essentially where we started. And at Encore since 2014, we've had these offerings that we provide on a monthly basis to our customers and to our therapy teams known as rehab roundtables. And our vision with that has always been That around a table in your communities, we have your MDS coordinator, your DON, your administrator, if available, sitting and listening and learning with our therapy team. And in 2018, we deemed the year, the year of the MDS. But also, interestingly enough, we have this beautiful integration of all of this regulatory change. So we started with MDS accuracy, but then also MDS accuracy tied to um, the ROC process and the new survey updates and then we went into really specific trainings on each section of the nds that we knew was going to impact rcs1 and then pdpm and how we could practice at a level of interprofessionalism and when you look at how we practice in smith historically it's been an interdisciplinary team we do a really good job at working together across teams. But a level of interprofessionalism requires us to also have an understanding of the scope of practice across clinical teams. So we started with MDS accuracy. We followed that by having all of our operations team MDS certified. Um, The next phase of our training that we're leading into in the immediate um, is ICB-10 accuracy. And then all of that is going to be followed by our clinical pathway development, which I hope we have the opportunity to discuss in more detail today. Um, and then the pathway development is followed by EMR integration. So we have been very actively involved with our EMR vendors, with all of our training initiatives, to ensure that after we train, there's actually a way to measure that there's learner understanding and that the, um, the full integration of the nursing teams with the therapy teams is embedded within the clinical documentation.
0: So, so you used a brand new term to me there, and I really, really like it, um, interprofessionalism, um, as opposed to IDT. Uh, I think I know what that is, but can you just put a little bit of a definition on that for us?
1: Sure. You know, interprofessionalism is not a word that we hear much in our industry. It's actually a term that's used by the World Health Organization, and it's embedded more into the ICF model that we see in clinical practice. And interprofessionalism takes clinical practice to the next level in that it requires me as the SLP to understand the scope of practice, roles and responsibilities fully of PT and OT, not just how I work with them, not how our goals should be um, specific to our discipline, but having a greater level of understanding of the clinical practice. It also goes hand in hand with what we do with nurses. Um, and in order to practice at the top of our license is really our goal with our with our pathways leading into PDPM. We have to understand each other. Um, we see the same individuals that we serve on a day to day basis our approaches may be a little bit different, but if we can fully integrate and understand everybody's scope of practice and roles, we get to that level of interprofessionalism. And you also, when you merge interprofessional practice initially with interprofessional education and ensuring that all of our training is in alignment with each other, we really do see you know, the highest level of outcome for the individuals we're serving
0: yeah it really really makes a lot of sense you know it kind of takes everybody out of those silos or perceived silos of what they can and can't do to really work together for what's best for the individual who's receiving services in the skilled nursing facility right absolutely and you know you
1: use the term silo in our initial training that we did on interprofessional practice and of course i'm here in farmland kentucky um, I've got pictures of silos. So I've got four <laughs> silos. I've got a PT silo, and OT, ST, and a nursing. And we talk about silo busting. And then also what each individual team member's goal may be, but how to achieve the greatest outcome by integrating all of those together. So I Perfect. Perfect. <laughs>
0: I love it. I love it. So, so in terms of uh, thinking more broad, uh, let, could you share with our viewers the stance that Encore took with um, RAC certification with a lot of your leadership staff or most of your leadership staff, I think it was? Essentially all of them at this point. So um,
1: on my team, I have the clinical services and quality assurance folks. And they're all clinicians, and they all have MDS certification, and it has really assisted us with the development of our programs and pathways to understand. Because if you look at the RAC certification, it's not MDS alone. It's MDS with more regulatory substance as well. So, we have internally at Encore a PDPM work group, and it includes members of operations, members of compliance, and clinical and HR, essentially, you know, everybody within the organization. And as we've developed, you know, our plan and how we can best serve our customers, we talked about the fact that our regional senior and divisional vice presidents who are um, on the operations team, who are also the boots on the ground and in communities every day need to be able to speak the language of MDS. So for that reason, um, Claire Coleman, who is our CEO, said, let's do this. And we essentially brought together 40 individuals um, in Detroit uh, a couple of months ago and blocked off a week and took everybody through the certification. So, you know, what was so special about us doing it with our group alone was that we could also talk about how does this specific regulation or this coding area integrate with our pathways and our programs and how we can, um, you know, build further into the future on how we we serve our customers. So it it was a lot of fun, but it was a lot of work.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was I'm sure it was a lot of work, but but what a great way to to make a statement together and collectively to say, you know, we really are going to understand This entire process, and we're going to walk. We're going to walk in the shoes of our customers through this process to really understand that MDS as a whole, not just the sections that we're responsible for, and not just that you know function out of section GG. And you know, I mean, to really, really be part of the whole, sort of that interprofessionalism, right? I'm going to use that word all the time now. By the way,
1: (laughs) you know, also, you know, to kind of extend on what you just said about the sections. You know, the, the RAC certification takes you through, we kind of did the basics courses first, but we, we ended the week with a five-star and the QRP and how all of this integrates. Um, and that's what I've been so excited to see over the past few years is that, it, you know, initially it looked like CMS was a little bit siloed with all of these regulatory changes. But now you see um, so many components of PDPM integrated in qrp and also what they've done in requirements of participation and so taking everybody through that coursework we got to the end and it was like ah you know that's that's how all of these areas are kind of woven together
0: you you are so right you are so right because you're right you know when these things are coming at you individually and separate They don't make sense. But as it's coming together, the layers just go right on top of each other. And they fit so So nicely. Um, Yeah, so so somebody had a really grand plan that, that the rest of us couldn't see in the beginning, we were saying what the heck is going on, but it's working. Um, and we're going to see more of that. We're we're going to see more of that coming together, I believe. Um, so, so you know, when, when we talk about that, um, I do know that in some of our conversations, um, you've talked about you all have taken a a really um, forward initiative in terms of building clinical pathways and building a clinical pathways manual and models that fit into your, um, into your system. They're embedded into your systems also. So talk to us a little bit about those pathways, what they are, how they work, how you're going to use them, that type of thing.
1: So our clinical pathway initiative uh, took about two quarters to complete. And the reason was, initially, we brought together a work group, um, again, of members from across the organization. So not just the clinical team. We had clinical, we had quality, we had, of course, compliance, we had operations team members. We also had members of our facility staff that just had, you know, a passion and an interest in contributing to what the pathways look like. So that was nice to have. Um, Their feedback. In addition, we had members of our appeals team that are nurses, so had their perspective. And there was a lot of conversation, if you will, in the brainstorming phase on kind of what our stance is on pathways versus protocols, and also ensuring that if we build a pathway, our therapists still have the clinical freedom and flexibility to treat that individual person sitting in front of them. And that's where, I'll be honest with you, Laura, I struggled initially with building pathways, because historically, when we looked at a lot of the pathways in the literature, they're pretty rigid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and look at to protocols. So day one through three, you do this. Day four through seven, you do this. And that, that's wonderful for um, example, maybe with someone that comes out of the hospital following a hip replacement and goes immediately to outpatient. But if you think about those that we serve on a day-to-day basis, and they're accessing the post-acute care Medicare Part A benefits in a SNF, there's some key criteria that are also impactful to their presentation. So they still need to be cared for as an inpatient, right? A lot of them are complex clinically, and it may not even be that foundational um, primary diagnosis that we're going to see in I0200 that this is the biggest challenge. Um, leading into PDPM. It may be that there's an old stroke or a Parkinson's disease or, um, you know, chronic UTI, things of that nature. So in order to wrap our heads around the pathways, we started with professional literature, uh, PTOP speech and nursing, and then we built some roadmaps. And in order to progress the individual person through the pathways, we built in phase level progression versus more rigid timeframes. And that gave us a level of comfort that this is what the evidence-based practice tells us. Um, So for example, when we were looking at the stroke pathway, we spent a lot of time looking at the new standards that are recommended by the American Heart Association and the American Stroke Association for treatment of stroke. I believe those were published in the Journal of Stroke in 2016. So it's not new, new. But what a lot of people don't realize is, and for example, my own training, I was trained that stroke was a transient event, right? So someone has a new onset of stroke, you've got this period of spontaneous recovery, you treat really intensely during that period. But then after a certain time phase, we don't see functional gains. But the new recommendations tell us to treat stroke as a chronic condition. Um, that can impact somebody's lifelong. but there's also levels of care that we can provide to increase functional abilities. So if you look at our clinical pathways manual, what you see for each um, area is what I'm calling like a table. So you've got a table form that lays on top of the practice guidelines. And the table is going to show you the phase level progression um, based on what we found in the research, beginning with pre-admission, but also, you know almost immediately after pre-admission when we lead into phase one of clinical practice what's the discharge plan um and ensuring that our therapists as far you know as far as a fully engaged member of the interprofessional team are considering what needs to be done in order to promote a safe effective discharge and or transition in care initially we built that for the pathway but we also know that that's now going to possibly be a qrp measure so transition to the next level of care, which is it's all coming together really nicely. It truly is. Um, and then on top of that, after the table, which includes all members of the team, what P- PT should do, OT, speech, nursing, social work, nutrition, um, is is the more of the manual that goes behind the table, and it builds from pre-admission to um, understanding of the disease process with the individual person needs to know to understand their disease process, what we do from an evaluation, screening, treatment, and then discharge and beyond.
0: So is that, I mean, that sounds amazing and so comprehensive. I'm I'm glad you said that, you know, that it also incorporates like nursing and dietary because that was going to be my next question. So it sounds like you all have really pulled those Together. Now, do you do you have you have those obviously you have it on stroke? You have them on just a certain number of topics right now? So we have them essentially
1: on all of the clinical areas for PDPM, but that also includes medical management. And I'll tell Mm -hmm. you those took the most time. So we have them for, you know, non elective hip, shoulder. Um, total hip, total knee, we've got them for the spinal, cervical, and lumbar, and then for medical management, we, we pulled um, data from advisory boards to determine what those key um, clinical categories that may fall into medical management would be, so we have sepsis, we have urinary uh, renal, we have pulmonary, cardiac, osteoarthritis, and then also further divides within neuro, so CDA and MS, And Parkinson's and TBI, in addition to a couple of other elements that are just tied to speech, so um, cognition and swallow.
0: So you haven't missed anything. You've really, it's really comprehensive. I hope not. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, you know, Renee, I, I think um, I think you and I could talk about PDPM all day long, um, especially since we're 91 days out and there still seems like we, um, we've done so much. And and Encore um, has certainly done um, so much in terms of preparation, preparing your staff, your team, um, getting the tools and the processes and the uh the documentations and the documentation and the pathways together. Um, you've done a lot of work in a really short time and, and we only have 91 days. Um, but I think at this point, I think at this point, um, like I said, we could talk all day. I'm not sure our listeners could listen all day. <laughs> so they've still got to care for their, their, their uh, residents and patients right now. So um, hopefully we can regroup again as we get closer to the October one date, and we'll just touch base again on some of the uh, best practices that you all are seeing and collaborate a little bit further as we go forward. How's that? That would be great. Wonderful. So I would like to thank you, Renee, and I would like to thank our audience for listening today. And I hope you'll join us again when we continue to talk about PDPM and of course other topics, because we just don't talk about PDPM.
1: Legal disclaimer Life Care Services LLC is not engaged in rendering legal advice. Therefore, any information provided in this podcast, although intended to be correct, is also not intended to replace or supersede the advice of your legal counsel. Also, thank you to Ben Sounds for the music provided in this podcast.